Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, this show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 214th episode of Power Your Parenting, Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Oh, my goodness. The spring is flying by. And before you know it, prom, graduation parties, high school graduations will be upon you. And this can be a really hard time for you senior moms. Your teens are gone more than usual and you feel this urgency to spend time with them. And yet, your teens have a different kind of urgency. They would rather be with their friends and their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And this is also the time they push the limits and tell you things like, why does it matter that I stay out later? Because I'm going to be on my own soon. They are stressed. And what you see is that they're mean. One senior mom said, my daughter is being a total hornet. And I think that can be really true for a lot of teens. But underneath the meanness is being stressed because they know their lives are about to change. This is also the time that you feel this pressure to make sure they really are ready to leave home. And instead of your teens showing you their maturity, like, hey, mom, see how ready I am? They often make really bad decisions to make you doubt even more if they can really leave home. I had one mom tell me that her daughter, who was really a well-behaved kid and didn't party all throughout high school, decided to start partying like her spring semester, and mom found all these white claws in her room and weed. So in this stage, you can be consumed with prom dresses, who's coming to graduation and college orientation and move-in dates. But I would also like to say there are some really, really important things for you to think about, like how are you going to sustain your relationship with your son or daughter when they leave home? Because they're not going to automatically stay connected to you. And in other words, how are you going to stay close? Your teens are on a super steep learning curve when they leave home. Up to this point, you are still making sure that they stay on track. In other words, you're managing them. But very soon, they will be just managing themselves. And they don't usually do this perfectly. And when you combine this steep learning curve of them managing every aspect of themselves, like their social life, peer pressure, academics, time, sleep, food, alcohol, and you combine this with the undeveloped brain that they leave home with, you can see that they are going to still need you even when they leave home. But you can't parent the old way. You can't have a relationship with them in the old way. Everything is about to shift. 
your relationship, how you parent. And I want to be there for you. I want to be your coach. And the easiest way that I can do that is for you to pick up a copy of my newest book, Dial Up the Dream, Make Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, and it works for sons too. So in this book, there's a lot of coaching and you know examples of what works and what doesn't work. You can read it or listen to it on the way to Target when you're starting to buy things for the new dorm room. Truly, this book is full of wisdom that comes from 50,000 hours of the past 30 years of me listening to moms and teens. And what really, really was my biggest teacher was living through this transition with my own daughter, who is now 27. If you want to be prepared and know what's coming and what you can do, you can order Dial Up the Dream on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. But maybe you're one of those moms who are just too overwhelmed to read or even listen to a book. So for you moms, I have some openings for individual mom coaching. It doesn't matter where you live. We can just meet on Zoom. You could book just even a one-hour consultation. If you're interested, you can email me at Colleen at dialdownthedrama.com. You don't have to have a senior. If you need help with your tween or teen, I'd love to help you. Again, email me at Colleen at dialdownthedrama.com. Today, we're going to talk about all things ADHD. You may have a child that has problems with focusing, forgets things, and procrastinates. Well, they may have ADHD. I am literally talking to an expert, an international expert on ADHD. We talk about what you can do about it. We talk about the medications, the pros and cons of those. We even talk about why there was an Adderall shortage. You will find this podcast really helpful. Dr. Ann Childress, MD, is president of the Center for Psychiatry and Behavioral Medicine, where about 80% of her practice is research-based. She also has adjunct faculty appointments at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, School of Medicine and Touro University of Nevada College of Medicine. She is board certified in psychiatry with a subspecialty in child and adolescent psychiatry. Dr. Childress has authored more than 80 articles in scientific journals and a book chapter. As a co-principal investigator, she has participated in more than 180 clinical trials. Her research has focused on treatment of children and adolescents with mood disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, schizophrenia, autism, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Dr. Childress is president-elect of the American Professional Society of ADHD and Related Disorders, education director for the Nevada Psychiatric Association, a distinguished fellow of the American Psychiatric Association, and a member of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Dr. Childress is an internationally recognized expert in the treatment of ADHD. So welcome, Dr. Ann Childress. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Are you a mom? I am a mom, and I have two children. One just had a baby, and one is expecting a baby. Oh, wow. Very cool. 
So I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I see lots of parents and teens and tweens. And as you know, because you are very seasoned and an international expert, is the parents will say, you know, my teen is just driving me crazy because they're just not doing their work and they're just forgetting things all the time. They really are angry at their teens. And I know you see this a lot. I mean, how would a parent know if their teen or tween has ADHD? When do they need to use medication? That's a great question. One of the things that often happens is I will get people coming in, especially girls, especially girls that may be more inattentive, who they're not getting their work done. The teacher is saying she's a lovely student, but she just doesn't seem to pay attention. She's in a fog. And the parents will come in and say, is my child depressed? What's going on? And we'll look back. The biggest thing with ADHD is it's based on history. So if somebody 16 comes in and it's just now, just this past year or past few months that they started having problems in school and they never had problems before and never had problems paying attention, then you wonder, is this ADHD or is it something else? It's probably something else because symptoms of ADHD need to start before age 12 or by age 12 as per DSM-5. And you need to have few symptoms by age 12. You don't have to meet the full criteria. It may be, well, sometimes she was having uh, trouble paying attention in class, but I remember homework was really difficult, but she's a really smart girl and she can connect the dots and we didn't always get the homework done or we'd do the homework and it wouldn't get back to school, even though it got into the backpack, but she was really smart. And so she got A's and B's and it wasn't really a big deal. But now that she has six different classes and each teacher has 200 students and doesn't know her first name, she goes by her middle name, right? But they always call her by her first name because they don't know her. Now she's struggling because there's a higher cognitive load. There's a lot more organization. And maybe the teachers aren't watching out for her like they were in second and third grade when she was a lovely student and she just had one teacher all day. So if a parent says, oh my gosh, that sounds like my teen or tween, mm -hmm. would you recommend that they get medication or what's the first step? The first step is a good evaluation. Not only is their ADHD is something else going on because as ADHD continues, especially into the teen years, you see more anxiety because they're overwhelmed. You see more depression because they're overwhelmed. They're not doing as well. The parents are taking things away from them, right? Because the homework's not getting done. So really it's looking, okay, there are concentration issues. What else is going on? How long has it been going on? Where is it impairing? And there are a number of different treatments for ADHD, pharmacologic treatment, medications, but there's also uh, behavior therapy and there's coaching. And so you need to see how big the impairment is, what the family's perception of ADHD and how they feel about medications. Nothing works better than medication. We've known that for several decades, but often families don't want to start with medication. Mm -hmm. That's true. My daughter, when she was in middle school, is one of those people that she had a problem with attention and, and she was very, very smart, but it would take her hours and hours and hours to do homework. So she got on some Concerta 
And then it like three or four hours of homework she could get done in like an hour. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. I always think about ADHD as you're trying to swim against the current. Mm-hmm. You can get there, but it's so much harder. And if you have some help, if you have some help with medications and you structure your environment where there are not a lot of distractions and you're making sure that you have a certain time to do your homework, maybe you come home and you get a snack first, you do things to change your environment in addition to taking medication. It makes a huge difference. I had a little girl yesterday. She'd done a study with us because I do a lot of clinical research and the study medication really wasn't helpful for her. So we started her on a methylphenidate and you know, there's an Adderall crisis, but there's also a crisis with methylphenidate here in Las Vegas. And I think the Adderall, the amphetamine crisis has really pushed over into methylphenidate now because people are having a hard time getting it. So she's been having a hard time getting medication. We got her on an extended release Ritalin and her mom said, she's been on it in the past, for the past two months. Her mom said her reading level jumped five levels in two months. Wow. They about holding her back in the first grade They're not talking about holding her back anymore. She is almost at grade level for reading. She still cries when she has to do math because math just isn't her thing. But she has come up five reading levels in two months. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. And that's an everyday story for me. Yeah. I have a girl that I think definitely has ADHD and her parents had not been paying attention to that, except that she just got her driver's license. So her parents bought her a brand new car. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid, I'm afraid where the story is going, but go ahead. And, and so it was on one side of the driveway and then the parents had a car and her brother had a car. And so she was backing up and she was listening to music and she got flustered and she just floored it and then took off her bumper and some damage to her car. So that is when I just said, I really think that she needs to be evaluated for ADHD. And so she is now on medication and doing so much better. She was going to a private school so she could kind of get through that, but where she couldn't manage all that stuff was with driving. Mm -hmm. You get to the point where there are just too many things on your plate. Mm -hmm. My daughter, who is 29, getting ready to have a baby, she's in her second year of vet school. She's going to be a veterinarian. And she did very well in college. She had a 3.7 degree in nursing. And she worked in the ICU and she wasn't getting promoted. Why wasn't she getting promoted? Well, she was having to work a little overtime to get her notes all finished at the end of the shift. And of course, hospitals don't like that because they have to spend more money for you to get your notes done. But we didn't really think a lot of it. She's had anxiety for a long time. And then she gets into vet school and she goes, mom, I'm struggling And I said, of course you're struggling. You're in school with a hundred other overachievers, right? This is, yes. it's a school's hard. I'm a physician. I know school's hard. Yeah. And she said, no, I think it's more than that. And so she was evaluated. She had, you know, IQ testing and she had everything. You don't need all of that to diagnose ADHD, but she got diagnosed with ADHD. 
<laughs> okay. I just want you to think about that for a minute. I'm an international expert. Right. ADHD is what I do all the time. Okay. You're, you're laughing. I know it's horrible, isn't it? Well, in my defense, when mm -hmm. she was in elementary school, the anxiety was really what the big thing was. She would write and her little hands would sweat so much that she would smear the ink on her papers. Right. Anxiety really covered up her ADHD. And it's always a lesson to me when people come and they talk about things and say they've got bad anxiety, but then we get the anxiety under control and there's still something going on. She didn't tell me that she was in college, always the last one to get her tests done, but her teachers really liked her. And so they gave her grace with things, even in college. I had no idea because she wasn't <laughs> going to college at home. She wasn't living at home. So now she's been treated. She's doing really well in vet school and she loves what she's doing. So hopefully she'll be on a good track and she won't get in trouble for being late with her notes. Well, the reason why I am chuckling is that one day a professor researcher in ADHD came to see me and she was telling me about her frustration with her daughter. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh my gosh, like who am I to tell her that she may have ADHD? And so I just smiled and I said, you know, that kind of sounds like ADHD. And then she, she, she just did have this epiphany, like, oh my gosh, she is. I think that's just a great thing for every mother is just sometimes it's really hard to see things in our own children. It is, right. And we don't have ADHD in the family, although she sent me her psychologist report, her evaluation, and it says she thinks she got this from her mother. <laughs> <laughs> Right. My daughter thinks she got it from me, too. I don't know. I, I have a lot to do. My desk is messy. People will look at my desk and they'll say, hey, you got it, too, huh, Doc? And I'll say, no, I'm just messy. <laughs> a lot of the moms that I talk to are really scared about putting their kids on medication. What could you say to those mothers? Well, since I do clinical research and stimulants are really one of the number one treatments, right? You, If you're looking at nothing works better than stimulants do. And I do these laboratory classroom studies. And so I have some math tests that I can show them from kids before they take their medicine and after they take their medicine. And one of my favorites is the little girl who was eight and she got 39 problems right in 10 minutes. She did thir 35 out of 39 in 10 minutes. And it looked like a kindergartner wrote it. And she was doodling. The teachers had to get her back on track. She took her medicine, which happened to be a long-acting methylphenidate. And four hours later, she was doing 100 problems. She got 95 out of 100 right. So went from 35 to 95 in the same amount of time. And it looked like it was age appropriate for the writing. Mm. And if somebody, I really think that medication is where they need to start or they've been through some cognitive behavior therapy and they've learned how to structure things and they're still struggling, I show them that math test and I tell them this is a guilt-free zone. This is what medication can do. It doesn't do that for everybody, but I routinely see people doing three times as much work in the same amount of time when they're on their medication versus when they're not on anything. 
Moms will tell me that they're worried that their kid's going to be addicted to it. That's a great question, right? It's a great Mm -hmm. concern. But from data that we have, especially some data, it's a little bit old now. It's a couple of decades old. And they were looking at dexedrine at Harvard, and they looked at boys who had ADHD, teens who were treated versus teens that weren't treated. They followed them along for about a decade, and they found that the ones that were treated were less likely to develop substance abuse problems. The biggest problem I have with the stimulants that my patients take is they forget to take them. (laughs) Periodically, I'll have somebody that I am concerned about abuse or misuse Mm -hmm. of the medication, but the majority of the patients, the biggest problem is that they forget to take them. And I know that because I know what prescriptions I've written. We look at the prescription monitoring program because we have to do that in Nevada. And you can see, wait a minute, I haven't seen you for six months. Uh, you've filled three months of medication because that's what I gave you. And you're telling me you took your medicine every day. Well, I can do math. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Is a 90 days worth of medication. It's not, I took my medication every day. (laughs) I've had teens say that they don't like how they feel on stimulants. That can happen. They may feel I'm not as funny. I don't want to eat and I want to bulk up because I want to play football, right? Or I Mm want to grow. I just want to be different. My friends tell me I'm not as funny and I don't like that. So I say, this is a no zombie zone. I don't want somebody (laughs) who's feeling dead inside. And so we may drop the dose. We may change the medication. We can go from a stimulant to a non-stimulant. And there are a number of non-stimulants that are out on the market. Uh, One was just released about two years ago for teens, for kids and teens, and then a year ago for adults. And there are more coming. Yeah, I think that's so important because what I know, having worked in psychiatry for 19 years, is that you always can talk to your psychiatrist about it doesn't doesn't quite feel right. And there's always something that y'all can do. You can tweak. There's a different way approach. So I'm really glad that you said that. We're a team. And I talked to the teens. I said, we're a team now you're a teenager, I know I can't make you take your medicine. When they were six, the parents would hand them the pill and make sure they swallowed it. But now as teens, they have their own mind. They they have their own <laughs> opinions. They have sometimes very strong opinions, we know. And so I say, let's let's work together. Let's drop your dose. Let's make a change. And you need to tell me if you're not feeling well. Nothing is off the table. Yeah, that's great. I know when my daughter found the right dose of Concerta, like she wanted to take it every day. So I think when you're on that right dose, it's like, I don't want to go throughout the day without it. Mm -hmm. So I have another question. So I talked to a teen yesterday and she said, well, me and my boyfriend, we get in fights because I see him after school at four when I'm coming off of my Adderall. And so that's when I get really grumpy and I want to fight. And that can happen. There can be a little bit of a crash when people are wearing off, uh, their medications are wearing off. It's not with everybody, but it certainly does happen. And I always say it's not a good time to talk politics when your medicine <laughs> is wearing off. 
might want to spend some time alone, or maybe we need to add a booster, or maybe we need to put you on something that lasts a little bit longer. For example, if somebody is on Adderall XR and maybe they're only getting 10 hours out of it, the best we got out of it in laboratory classrooms was 12 hours, but that's in a controlled environment when you're at absolutely the optimal dose. So maybe they need to change to the prodrug amphetamine like Vyvanse, which lasts a little bit longer. We In a laboratory classroom, we got 14 hours out of it with adults. They were doing more math. Mm-hmm. And with kids, we saw them doing more math up to 13 hours out. So maybe they need to make a little bit of a switch or they can add a booster. I don't really like the immediate release Adderall as much because I worry more about abuse and diversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, regular Adderall has a much higher street value than Adderall XR. So I really try to limit the amount that I prescribe. The other thing with it is people have to remember to take it, right? So, yeah. okay, wait a minute. One of the criteria for ADHD is you forget things. So <laughs> if you forget things and I'm asking you to take your medication more than once a day, then that's going to turn into a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this may be simplistic, but do you think doing cardio or exercise when they're coming down, would that help? You know, exercise is actually a good adjunctive treatment for ADHD. There's some data that it does help. Good, good. I suggested that yesterday. (laughs) You did absolutely the right thing. And I try to get kids into sports. Uh, into a sport that they like. If they're really hyperactive, baseball may not be the right thing for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I look back at my daughter, I remember she had a very short t-ball career because she was picking flowers in the outfield. (laughs) All right. So there are stimulants and non-stimulants, and then there's Vyvanse and Concerta and Adderall. Like, is one better than the other? Do they give different benefits? You know, one may be better than the other for a certain patient. For example, oh, 80-plus percent of people will respond to stimulants, up to 96% in some studies. But they may not respond as well to methylphenidate like Concerta as they do to Vyvanse or Adderall, amphetamine, or vice versa. There was a study that was done, they looked at Foclin XR, which is dexmethylphenidate extended release and Adderall XR. And about 80% of people responded to the amphetamine, about 79% responded to the methylphenidate, and about 40% were preferential responders to one or the other, which means one just worked better. They both worked, but one worked better for them. Mm -hmm. And the way the medications are put together... You say, if you look, I mean, there are about 30 different stimulants on the market. And it's like, okay, is one really better than the other? And it may be for a certain patient. For example, if somebody can't swallow pills, a chewable tablet or a liquid may be helpful. If they're a teen, they probably aren't going to want to take a liquid medication, right? Because it makes them feel like a baby. I have people tell me that. But there are oral disintegrating tablets that you can take that are they're good. They're a good alternative, especially if somebody is maybe a teenager and they're still having some trouble swallowing pills. And so they don't have to open up a capsule and sprinkle it into applesauce, which has 
all sorts of negative connotations and can be difficult in the morning and things go flying everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, you get the picture. I do. I do. So again, I would say for parents out there, if you have tried a medication and you say it doesn't work, this is really a conversation and a partnership, like you said, and until you will find something that works. Right. And it may be as simple. Sometimes I'll have people that come to see me. They saw their pediatrician and they were on medication. So they were on Concerta for a year and it just didn't work for them. Well, how much Concerta did you take? Well, I was on 18 milligrams. Well, 18 milligrams is the lowest dose. And I very rarely have somebody that that's the best dose of their medication. So it's really important to optimize the dose to get to just the right dose that helps control symptoms, but they're not taking so much that they're a zombie or they're having a lot of trouble with their appetite or trouble with sleep. So we have to really look at effectiveness and tolerability to make sure we're at just the right dose of the right medicine. Yeah. Do moms or adults ever take stimulants? Yes, they do. And I diagnose a lot of them when their kids come in. (laughs) They'll say, oh my gosh, she was just like me when I was a kid. And, or I'll diagnose somebody and they'll say, oh my gosh, their dad is just like this. (laughs) If I have two parents sitting in with me, it's usually the moms that bring the kids in. You and I both know that. But if dad's there and I say, does anybody else in the family have ADHD? And they may say, well, I'm not diagnosed, but then the mom's kind of pointing at dad, right? <laughs> ADHD yeah. is as heritable as height. Oh, wow. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes. Interesting. I know they don't call it ADD anymore, do they? No. Uh, and people all ask me about that. Well, ADD is really attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, predominantly inattentive type. I know, so confusing. (laughs) All right, it's actually inattentive presentation with DSM-5. See, I'm old enough that it's DSM-4. I'm old enough that I remember when they used to call it minimal brain dysfunction. So I I don't know if you're that old. (laughs) I'm not quite that old, but I think I I know definitely DSM-4 and DSM maybe three. Yeah. 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 DSM-4, everything is type and DSM-5, it's presentations. Mm, mm, So interesting. All right. So I have had a lot of clients come in like, oh my gosh, it's so hard to get Adderall. So what's going on with that? Well, there are a number of factors and the shortage started in October of 22. And part of it was with Teva, I think they were having some manufacturing issues. But the story is more complex than that. There have been a number of increases in stimulant prescriptions. I was looking at Congressman or Congresswoman Spanberger's website. She's in Virginia and she had written a letter to the DEA about a month ago, I guess maybe February, maybe almost two months ago now. And on her website, she was talking about the number of prescriptions of Adderall had gone up from 36 million to 41 million in just a couple of years. Wow. Yeah. And the CDC just released a report last week, and I've actually got it in front of me. What they did is they looked at commercially insured patients, and they said between 2016 and 2021, 
the average number of patients or the number of patients who got at least one prescription for a stimulant went up about 3.6%. But that's just one prescription. That's not total number of prescriptions, right? And it increased the most in girls 15 to 44 and boys 25 to 44. They increased about 10% the stimulant fills between 2020 and 2021. Wow. So there's a shortage with manufacturing issues. There are about nine companies. I just looked on the FDA shortages. There's a, a little app. It's called FDA Drug Shortages. And you can type in a drug and see if it's in shortage. And there are nine companies listed as making Adderall or its generics. And about half of them say that it's in shortage. Some say the drug is available, but they're only giving it to current customers or current distributors. So that's one issue. The number of prescriptions has increased. And why has that happened? Well, that's happened partly because there is an increased recognition of ADHD. People will come in and tell me, hey, I saw a video on TikTok and I think I might have ADHD, or I took a two-minute test, and I think I have ADHD. Well, ADHD really is based on history, and if you're impaired, what are your current symptoms? What are your issues? However, a two-minute video on TikTok or a two-minute survey isn't a good way to get diagnosed with ADHD. In some ways, it's really good because the awareness is increasing, and so some of the stigma is decreasing. And then we have telehealth. When the pandemic started and offices shut down, we stayed open uh, because I'm old, and <laughs> I really like to see people in person, and I like to get heights and weights and blood pressures on my stimulants. And uh, you know, it was one time when the teens really didn't mind coming in to see me. You know, all those snarky teens that were coming in. I have a therapy dog, so that always helps. But I was their <laughs> one outing, right? Everybody was hunkered down, but you got to come in and see Dr. Childress. You actually got to get out of the house and have some human interaction. It was really nice during that time. But telehealth has really increased the awareness. It's increased the accessibility for people with ADHD. But some of the telehealth companies are owned by venture capitalists. And so they're just, there are a lot of concerns, right? There are a lot of concerns. And how do you measure people's vital signs? And how do you follow height and weight with kids when you're doing telehealth? Now, there used to be some restrictions, and those are going to come back. There is a law called the Ryan Haight Act, and Ryan Haight was a young man who was an 18-year-old and got some medication for from an online pharmacy. I'm not sure exactly what he got it for or what he got, but anyway, he overdosed and died. Mm. And so after that, a law was put into place for controlled substances that you had to have an in-person visit with a physician. So you had to have a relationship with a provider of somebody who could prescribe controlled substances. You saw them in person and you had a relationship. Now, after you had that relationship, you could do televisits, but you needed to see somebody in person first. That was put on pause during the pandemic. And of course, oh. of course they, they're they going to bring it back. 
but the DEA now is, I think March 31st was the latest day you could submit comments, what you think about this, right? Whether this is going to impact your practice. So we'll see what happens, but it's going to come back at least in some form that people are going to have to see a provider in person, maybe once a year, but they're going to have to see somebody in person to get controlled substances. Mm. That is really interesting. Are other medications like Concerta and Vyvanse more available? Vyvanse is more available. Concerta is not, at least where I am. And I looked this morning and methylphenidate is not shown to be in shortage. Although the FDA app does say that Patriot brand Concerta is no longer manufactured. Patriot is a company that is owned by Johnson. I guess it's a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. And they make authorized generics. Well, they make authorized generics of their products, right? Mm -hmm. So an authorized generic means it's exactly the same compound. It's the same excipients, the the non-pharmaceutical non, uh, stuff that's the filler in the, the tablets or capsules. And so it's exactly the same. If you get a brand name Concerta, it'll have Alza written on it. And if you got Patriot Concerta, it would have Alza written on it. Okay. They stopped making that. So that's caused Concerta to be in shortage. In addition to people have switched from amphetamine to methylphenidate. And every day I have people calling me sometimes in tears. Usually they're talking to my front desk person and I can't, you know, I can't get this. I can't get that. I'll send something maybe to two or three different pharmacies. So it's taking a lot of time and it's unfortunate. There are some bioequivalent medications. The generics are bioequivalent to the brand name, which means that the amount of medication, active medication they have in them has to be between 80 and 125%. Mm -hmm. And there are some brands that are available. For example, Xenis is an oral disintegrating tablet, and it is bioequivalent to Adderall XR. It's bioequivalent to branded Adderall XR. And Rather than being 80 to 125%, it's within just a few percent of the amount of medication that is in Adderall XR. And if you look at the curves about the concentration in the blood, they're superimposable. So mm -hmm. Adzenis is a good alternative if people can get their insurance to pay for it. Now, I know the company has partnered with a number of pharmacies in different areas to make the medication affordable. So people might want to look on the website, see if there's a pharmacy in their area and talk with their provider. If you look at regular Adderall, there's a medication called Dianavel XR. It's a liquid amphetamine. They have a tablet and they also have a liquid uh, Dianavel XR. And it is equivalent to two doses of regular Adderall. So if somebody mm -hmm. was taking Adderall twice a day, that would be an option for them. And people can look on the website and see if there are coupons. One of the big problems is the medications being available, but your insurance formulary, they're not on that. And so you'll go to the pharmacy and they'll say, oh, this medication is $400. Well, hmm. I'm not going to buy a medication that's $400. Right. Yeah. I had a client, she's a young mom and I think she had a, I guess you call it the bioequivalent to Adderall, mm -hmm. but it was definitely not as strong. 
So she ended up doubling up that and then that completely threw her off. Right. Well, one, it twice as much may be too much. And remember, I said bioequivalent be, can be between 80 and 125% of the brand name, which is right at that 100% mark, right? Yeah. So if it's not as strong, she certainly could have had something that was 80%. Yeah. And with stimulants, you really notice a difference. I do the laboratory classroom, so I can see a difference in how medications work, how they're released how the differences are with bioequivalents. And I have my patients talk to me about it. Hey, this medication isn't as strong. Whatever I got this last time didn't last as long for me. And it's not like you can go to your pharmacy and say, you know what, this generic didn't work for me. I want a different generic because a number of the big pharmacy chains, what they do is they have distributors that distribute medication for them. And the distributors contract with the pharmaceutical companies or one generic. So for six months, they might contract with Teva and have the Teva generic. And then when that contracts up, maybe they get a better deal from Sandoz or somebody else. So then the generics change and the pharmacy is not going to be able to order from another manufacturer. One is going to be more expensive, so they may lose money, but they're going to use what their distributor has. So it makes it very difficult for patients. So what can moms do about this for their teens or even for themselves? Well, if they're on Adderall XR, they can look at the website on Adzenis and look at the coupons, find out if there's a partner pharmacy in their area, and they can do a little research before they go in and see their doctor. Can you spell that? A-D-Z-E-N-Y-S. Okay. If they're on two doses of regular Adderall, I would rather see somebody on an extended release than two doses of regular Adderall. So they could certainly take Xenus because it's Adderall XR is just really what it's equivalent to is a dose of Adderall and and then another dose of Adderall at the same do, at the same uh, concentration. So ten mil, so twenty milligrams of Adderall XR would be ten of regular Adderall. At say 8 a.m. and 10 of regular Adderall at 12 noon. So there are two doses that are supposed to be spaced about four hours apart. All right. So any last advice for the moms listening? Do your research. Try not to get flustered. I'm hoping the crisis will be over. A lot of the companies had marked on their websites or on the FDA website that their shortage would be over in March. Well, it's April and we're still having a shortage. Uh, some are saying that we're going to recover this month. So be patient, look around, do your homework. Well, this has been so helpful, and I know you're a busy woman, so thank you so much for your time. Colleen, thank you so much for having me on your show, and hopefully my words will be helpful. Oh, they're very, very helpful. I mean, they're helpful for me, and I know they're going to be helpful for so many people listening. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, 
and my newest release book, Dollop the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, you can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.